Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. The Bible says that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. The cross of Calvary is the central focus of the Word of God. The prophets of old looked forward to it. Those who lived at the time of Christ saw the cross experience with their own eyes, and we today look back at it as an accomplished fact. Why is this? Well, it is what happened on the cross that meets the need of all mankind. Sin has always been a universal problem, and only the work of Christ on the cross could put it away once and for all. In today's message, Speaker Marvin Dirksen focuses on the cross of Christ and the crossroads that meet at the foot of it. We all need to decide for ourselves, is it foolishness, of no relevance to the 21st century, of no importance in my life, Or will you come away knowing the power of God to save you and transform you and loving the Savior of sinners? 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and verse number 18. Paul is writing and he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Now just drop down to verse number 22, 23 rather. Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, just one final portion in Matthew chapter 26. Let's read verse 65. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, he hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, he is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Chapter 27 and verse number 22. He's now standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe, and when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. Verse 33, and when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. I'd like to speak just of three very important things that, to me, are at the very focus, the very center of the gospel. The gospel is not some kind of a social 
issue. It's not even a moral issue so that you might be able to be helped to live better. Now, the gospel will help people live better, but that's not salvation. What we have read tonight concerns really three realities. So I'd like to speak tonight, first of all, about the cross. The cross as a place where our hearts were revealed, the revelation of our hearts. Secondly, I want to look at the, the Christ of the cross. The cross, revelation of our hearts. But the Christ of the cross, the remedy for our sins. And what you do with him will determine will you be forever. And thirdly, we have read in Matthew chapter 26 and 27, we've read about a crossroads at the cross of Christ, a place of decision, a place of response. And that's exactly where we are tonight, not geographically at a place called Calvary, but you're going to hear about a Savior again and his work at Calvary. The cross, the Christ of the cross, and the crossroads at the cross of Christ. We could easily go to the little town of Bethlehem tonight, and we could easily look into a manger. That was his first bed, laid in a manger. And we could look with amazement and with worship at the fact that the little babe in the manger was the mighty creator himself. You say, that's a mystery. I don't understand it. Well, I don't either, but the Bible says, great, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in flesh. But a babe in a manger, though so vital and so necessary, could not meet our need. We could go to a hill of transfiguration where the Lord's face shone as the sun, where his clothes actually flashed as lightning. We'd be made aware of the glory that marked his person. It wasn't glory that shone from the outside in. It was glory, the outshining of all that he is that came from the inside out. We have never seen that kind of glory. And again, we're made aware that this is who he is. But the glory on the mount, though so vital, could never meet our need. It's only when we come to Calvary, the cross, that we understand that this is God's greatest and final answer. But the cross is an awful place. In fact, it's interesting that it's called Skull Hill. Skull Hill. The hill has some indentations in the rock face, and it looks like a skull. So very likely, that's why it's called Skull Hill. But to me, there's something even more dramatic that this place is called Skull Hill. Because you see, when you're dealing with skulls, the flesh has been removed. We're coming down to the bare bones. Everything that is not necessary has been removed. And now we're seeing the actual reality of a person's head. You know, when we come to Calvary, Skull Hill, we're made aware of what we're really like. Because Calvary is the revelation of our hearts. You see, when we come to Calvary, we're coming to a place where there was a cry made for this man's blood. You will understand that there was a decision made and the people said, away with him, crucify him. Not only had he done nothing wrong, he had done all kinds of good. Everywhere he went from the very start, he had brought blessing. He had brought blessing. He had lifted spirits. He had forgiven guilty souls. He had dried the tears of those that were sorrowing. He had made people that had never been able to walk. He made them to walk. He came alongside of a blind man who had been blind from his birth. But there was the greatest day when his eyes were open because of this man. And there were those that heard his call, come down for today, I must abide at thy house, and their lives were changed. I happen to be one of those. Not in Bible times, but my life was changed by this man. But the world in mass said, we don't want him. And the cry was, crucify him. And so they took him out to Skull Hill, and there they crucified him. You ever pondered what Calvary was about? Have you ever understood personally? Before we can appreciate that Calvary, the cross, was a work done for us, we must acknowledge that Calvary was a work done 
bias. Oh, you say, I wasn't there, Marv. No, I wasn't either. But my heart was no different than theirs. And tonight, if you have never, never received Christ, then you're still keeping him on the outside. You might never have set away with this man, but that's the way you're living. You have never, never expressed any thanksgiving to him for dying in your place. And when we come to Calvary, we come to a place where our hearts were revealed in their fullness. Because you see, Calvary was a place of heartless cruelty. We've read only just a smattering of what they did to him. And if this man called Jesus was only a man like ourselves, it would have been bad enough to be spit upon, to be pummeled, to have a back raked with a Roman lash, to have a crown of thorns beaten into your brow, to be blindfolded and a rod come across your face. If he'd only been a man, it would have been dreadful. My dear friend, they were doing it to the Son of God, to God's beloved Son, the mighty Creator, the great I Am. It was a place of heartless cruelty. It was a place of crushing betrayal. Just a short time before that, there was a disciple that came, a, well, supposed disciple. He was known as the disciple of one of the disciples of Christ. But in that torchlight of that garden, Judas stepped into the light and kissed repeatedly the cheeks of the Lord Jesus. It was a sign of betrayal. And what is one of the most intimate expressions of love when we, when we kiss loved ones? was given as the sign of betrayal. Arrest him, take him. And the prophet could write, Mine own familiar friend hath lifted up his heel against me. It was a place where justice was set aside. Did he deserve to die? No. He'd done nothing wrong. There was nothing that could convict him. Nothing. And yet instead of doing the right thing, Pilate took a basin of water and washed his hands and said, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to that. And the nation said, His blood be on us. We'll take care of it. His blood be on us and on our children. And justice was set aside. And when they came to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. I hope you understand tonight that it was our sin. It was our sin that put him on that cross. Now he went willingly. But Calvary was the place where our hearts were revealed in their absolute depravity. We'll not have this man to reign over us. And that's why I just want to bring it forcibly, I trust, to this audience. Because... If you have never, never received Christ as your Savior, if he's just a name, then my friend, that's your verdict of him too. That's your heart revealed. And sadly, for almost 22 years, I saw no value in Christ. Calvary, the cross, is a place where our sins were revealed, our hearts. I wonder, have you ever, ever stood alongside of Calvary and asked, why was he there? But we have read these verses, the preaching of the cross to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And then Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. So the two go together. There is a person and there is a place. And those two are linked for all eternity. Because you see, when he came, he came to reveal God's heart. But he came to be the remedy, the remedy for our sin. I trust you will get a good glimpse of that matchless person. This unspeakable gift, that vocabulary, we run out of vocabulary. We can't describe the greatness of his person. But you see, we preach Christ crucified. He must die if we are ever to be saved. He must give his life if our debt is ever going to be settled. He must take our place if we're ever going to be brought to the blessing of salvation. And thank God there was a moment when he was crucified 
and when he suffered for our sins. I want to tell you very quickly about this wonderful person, because you see, Calvary was no accident. It wasn't a plan that had gone off the rails. The God of heaven, as he followed the journey of his son, he didn't say, oh no, I didn't realize that this was going to happen. No, Calvary was centermost in God's plans. And when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. I want to ask you, why was he sent? Well, let me tell you some of the reasons why he was sent. He came because of a personal concern for you and for me. Do you know God knows where you are tonight? God knows your name. God knows exactly what's in your heart. Yes, God's well aware of your past. Doesn't take him by surprise. And yet the God of heaven sent his son because he has a personal concern for you. You know why? You're on the wrong road and you're in danger of losing your soul forever. I've often told, and it's no credit to me, but a few years ago I was driving into Toronto and of course anyone that's been there will understand that three lanes become six lanes, become seven lanes, and it's, well, I'm just glad I don't have to live in Toronto. But anyway, driving into Toronto, going with the traffic, 110, 100 and whatever it was, I noticed that there was a pickup truck to my right up just ahead of me pulling a long travel trailer, kind of an old travel trailer. And on the passenger side of the travel trailer, the back axle was, there was smoke coming up. Now, I pulled enough trailers to know that that is not good news. But the driver had no idea. It was way at the back, way on the passenger side. He very likely couldn't see it. But I could see it. I just realized that man needs to be told what's happening back there. Now, I, I couldn't get out. So I came up alongside and I began to honk on my horn. And I began to wave my hand as frantically as I could, you know, pointing to the back. I was hoping that he'd get the message. And as I continued on with the traffic, I watched as he pulled off to the side on the shoulder and he stopped. And I said, oh, I'm glad he got the message because he's not aware of what's happening at the back. This is what we've been trying to do. Very simply, you don't know the tragedy of where you're heading. You don't know about the darkness that will be your portion eternally unless you turn. And that's why with great weakness, we've just been trying to make you aware, to make you understand what's happening. But far greater, there was a man who came from heaven, and he came because of personal concern for your soul. Christ crucified. And the cross makes us aware of the depth, the depth of his concern for you, my dear man, for you, my dear woman, for young people here. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But he came, not just because of personal concern, but he came with undeserved love and unreserved love. It's one thing to have undeserved love, but unreserved love? His love didn't have any boundaries. His love didn't have any limits. His love didn't say, well, if they respond, I'll love them. No, no. He loves you, my dear friend, with a perfect love. And that love was proven at this place called Calvary. Christ crucified makes us aware of the wonder and the extent of his unreserved love. I spent many years in Newfoundland, and a lot of the outports are very small places. Now, outport is just a coastal village. A lot of them are linked with a fishery. And in central Newfoundland, there's a very small outport. It's just a little spit of sand running off into the Atlantic. And on that little road, there's a number of homes a few years ago, there was a worker that was heading for work. It was winter time. Got up early in the morning, put some wood in the wood stove, and headed down the road. Might have been 10 miles, 15 kilometers. And as that man came into the parking lot, a co-worker came running out. 
waving his arms with some very, very alarming news. He said, man, your, your house is on fire. You better go back. And I have often wondered, because I've gone that route, and you can see that little spit of houses for miles. I've often wondered what that father must have felt as he drove as frantically as he could, and he saw his house on fire. When he pulled into the front yard, there was a large crowd that was gathered there. The house was a raging inferno. He started for the front door with no hesitation. Pretty strong fisherman. said, Marv, it took five of us to hold him back. It took five of us to hold him back as a father was willing to step into the fire. You know what happened at the cross? It was a man that came from heaven, and he stepped into the fire with no one to hold him back, that you might be rescued, that you might be saved. That's what Calvary is all about. That's what the Christ of the cross is all about. We preach Christ crucified. His love was demonstrated in his fullness. My dear friend, he wants you to understand that he loves you. And he has made the complete sacrifice required for your sins. The tremendous debt of our sin has been paid in full. And tonight God is not asking you to do anything to meet that need. But he is offering you the greatest gift. Pilate said, what shall I do then with Jesus? which is called Christ. That's where we are right now in this meeting. It's not a membership drive, so we're not asking you to raise your hand to join this church. We have nothing to join. This is not an appeal to try to get your life straightened out so you can live better. That would be a good thing, but that's not salvation. No, the focus of the gospel is Christ and him crucified. He's not on the cross. He's not on the tomb. He's risen. He's able to save you, to forgive your sins, to give you everlasting life. But the question is, What are you going to do with him? That's the crossroads. Judas said, I'll take 30 pieces of silver. Pilate said, I'll deliver him just to please the people. The world said, we want him out of here. That's our choice. And tonight you're faced with a choice. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with this man? What are you going to do with this payment? I'm thankful to say that there are people here and your answer is, Jesus, I will trust thee. Trust thee with my soul. I'm guilty, lost, and helpless. Thou canst make me whole. Some will remember the tent series we had a few years ago. And in that series, there was a 90-year-old gentleman, well-known individual, very dignified 90-year-old man. But he was coming. He had come to understand that he needed to be saved. And during that series of meetings, we had a number of very, very interesting and very pointed talks. And the last night came. Now, he lived in a very nice retirement home, just a but a one-minute drive away from the tent. So I said, I'll be glad to take him home. We just sat in the driveway of the parking lot. We just began to talk, and I had tremendous respect for a 90-year-old man. And I remember what he said. He said, you know, I know I need to be saved. I know I need to be saved. But he said, I I guess I've got a ways to go yet. But I said, I can understand what you're saying, because sometimes there is a process to faith. We need information. We need to understand our need, and we need to understand the remedy. So sometimes we'd gain more information before we can accept it and believe God. But I said, if your boat suddenly capsized and you were in the water going down, you would not say, I know I need to be saved, but I guess I got a ways to go yet. I said, what you would say is, I need to be saved now. That's where you are right now. You need to be saved now. Well, he was a very, very respectful gentleman. He thanked me and I helped him into the foyer and he said, I'm good from here. So I said goodbye and left. I didn't know what he was going to do. He went into his room, got down on his knees, 
received Jesus Christ as his Savior. They had lunch together on Friday. He asked to be taken back to his house to pick up some papers. He must have stumbled on something, and he fell, and he broke his hip. He was taken to the hospital. Surgery was on Monday. He came through the surgery, but died that night of a heart attack. Saved eight days. Just in time. My friend, we're not telling you that you only have eight days. You might not even have eight days. But this is a crossroads. You must do something with Christ. And I trust and pray there might be somebody here. And you will receive him as your Savior. You will thank him for the very first time. That Calvary and the cross was because of your sins. At the light, you might receive him and leave rejoicing. We've heard how the cross of Calvary reveals our hearts of enmity against God, but it also reveals the great heart of love that God has for sinners. Christ freely and lovingly paid the entire debt that we owed to God. His payment was enough to keep us from eternal damnation and bring us to eternal glory. He did all this while we were yet sinners and had no thought about Him. So how about it? Is the preaching of the cross still foolishness for you? We hope not. It's only the perishing that think so. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.